from MZ Studios in Dallas, Texas, you're listening to the Tennis Revolution Podcast. Almost live. I wish it was live because then we wouldn't be able to. Uh, then we would be able to talk about all the fantastic matches that we're gonna miss, <laughs> literally by moments. By far the best day of the open, and we're recording right before it starts. Who does podcasts? We should do a radio show <laughs> and just do it live. We just got to start doing daily podcasts. It's something instead of weekly in Australia. Yeah, I mean. How long does it take to get there in a cargo ship? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I could get there. We are already getting off topic off topic in the first 30 seconds, but my wife and I just, we know have some friends in Australia and we looked into going and we both just looked at each other and said, I can't, I can't do a 15 hour flight. Oh dude. Uh, we, no- we, we, the most we've ever done is four hours. I'm like, I can't, I don't know how we would do it. Cause I couldn't afford to sit in a fancier area until right. this podcast takes off. But um, <laughs> wait a minute, we're making millions. I not <laughs> but even still, I'm like 15 check? hours in that small of a space. I don't know how I'd have to take sleeping pills every four hours. <laughs> um, and then I wouldn't get off the plane until it's time to come back. Uh, it, I don't know how I don't know how people do it. Someone well, I knew just did a 22 hour flight. B. recently. B.A. Baracus would always get an injection. Yeah. The A team. Mr. T? I, know, I was about to ask who that was. He didn't like the, to fly, so they always trick him. And when, he <laughs> went, when he wasn't looking, they... I'm okay with that. Oh, A-Team reference. Somebody out there knows who the A-Team is. I <laughs> Mr. Love it. T, that, hey. that's all I could have told you. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> there, there, has, there was that goofy movie, but I'm yeah. talking about the series in the I 80s. I think more people saw the series in the movie. I would think so. Um, so, Australia. Is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about... <laughs> Air travel. Yeah. Um... That is a big, a big uh, factor, a limiting factor on this podcast getting to the Australian Open, but certainly not the most immediate. Right. Uh, but maybe <laughs> one day we'll do. We'll, we'll, all we have to do is fake it. Right. We just pretend we're in Australia. Play minute work in the background. Yeah. The time. All right. Anyway. In that case, we were in Australia last week. Yeah. But no, I think I mean, people are going to be listening to this by the time tonight's matches are over, but. That's probably the best lineup of four matches I've seen in a slam in a while, um, which is funny because the the ones yesterday were horrible, <laughs> just just by well, just by the on paper. Well, so you know, doing a podcast every weekend, and we try to push it to Sunday, which works great when the time zone's a little closer to right. us. Um, but. It's so jacked up. I mean, again, it, what day is it? Wednesday, March 28th right now in Australia. So it it's a little tough and, you know, it's too bad. But, you know, we get through it. Our listeners. One thing I do I have noticed this tournament, and I'm sure this is every year, but I've just noticed it this year, that they do like an Americentric TV coverage in that first window of like the 6 to 10 p.m., which is nice. Like Coco played in that window almost every time. Right. Obviously, Osaka, they put, they're going to put that in prime time, but... It was nice to see the Americans, and I'm sure they do that by design for their TV. They probably have some agreement. But all the American, all the matches involving Americans were typically early. We didn't have to stay up all night to watch, which was nice. Yeah. 
Not that they would want Query and Sangren to be their primetime night match uh, ever, <laughs> but <laughs> and we don't want it uh, any time. But well, we don't care about American men anyway. <laughs> so, so anyway, so what I was saying is, you know, we don't record daily during the you know the the Grand Slams. We're not awesome like other podcasts we know. <laughs> uh, well, we don't know them, but we have to have full time jobs outside of our tennis coverage. Actual in the tennis business, yes. as a matter of fact. So that's not a shot. Yeah, it kind of is. Anyway, <laughs> so, but the downside is when the when the time zone's all jacked up like Australia, we end up sort of, you know, piecing together. We're partly into the second week. We're partly not yet. And, you know, that's all right. But outside of the, 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 the remaining matches to get into the fourth round, or the fourth round matches, what I wanted to look at was the stories in like sort of order of priority of the first week. Right. And I've written a couple things down, and if you have any other, so I'm thinking just top five stories of week one, not counting the handful of matches we still have. So no particular order. You mentioned Coco Golf. Right. So that's one option. Generally, Coco Golf, right? Coco Golf versus Kennan. That that specifically is a yeah. separate. Uh, Kennan is a p- potential story. Um, the big three, as always. <laughs> Tennis Sangren, generally. Right. Tennis Sangren Fanini, specifically, two separate. Uh, Kyrgios, generally. Right. And Kyrgios versus Hatchinoff. Mm-hmm. And potential, uh, you know, I guess potential Nadal doesn't count. Yeah, because um, this is that would be week two. Yeah, technically. Uh, any what else? Uh, the fires. Yeah, which ended up being just from the tournament's perspective. Wasn't I'm going to stop myself before <laughs> yeah. I say it? Just from the perspective of the tournament, a non-issue for the most part, which is obviously great. Um, and then the the not nearly talked about enough Wozniacki. Like I thought. That got overshadowed by Serena losing two big stories, Serena being out yep. and Wozniacki retiring, and they just happened to happen within 30 minutes of each other. Well, and that's another one I had that was general upsets. Right, and of you course, know. of course, Wozniacki takes a back seat to Serena again, like every <laughs> other female player. Even losing um, her very last I mean, match. they literally cut off her retirement post-match speech <laughs> for Serena to be like 2-1 in the third set. I'm like, <laughs> and I asked this, and I guess it's just me because I asked ask this, team how that feels. He knows. <laughs> well, I asked this to one of my drill groups this week, and I said, "Is this just unheard of? For, why could they not have shown the entire Serena third set? Wonderful, dramatic, amazing, no problem. That should be shown. I have no disagreement with that. Why couldn't they, as soon as that ended, say, "All right, now we're going to show you the third set of Caroline Wozniacki's match"? Yeah, the diehard internet people already know what happened. But you're not showing it anyway, so what does it matter? You didn't show it when it happened, so what does it matter? Why not show it then, and then we can all watch on the edge of our seat and right. see it happen? Instead of they're going to sit for 45 minutes to talk about Serena's loss, then they're going to start a match you know, that's going to last three hours. I just don't get why we can't watch both third sets in their entirety. Right. And, you know, again, I, we know I'm weird when it comes to recording, so I just we think we're obsessed with it has to be live. we got to see what's happening. Let's do the split screen so then we can't see either match. 
No, uh, you're definitely weird. <laughs> uh, and also weird because of the recording situation. <laughs> but at the same time, you can't have 19... Well, you can with DirecTV, of right. course. You can have several boxes on one screen and kind of see what's going on, but it's so awful. Right. And... Outside of recording it yourself, and not everybody has direct TV, so they only yeah. have one option. Uh, here in the states, we also have uh, ESPN and ESPN Plus. Right, uh, we can watch matches on that platform on your phone. If it worked ever, <laughs> have you been having problems with it? So I haven't tried it this tournament. Now here's the upside: I follow English Premier League soccer. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> I'm a Newcastle fan, and it. I got ESPN Plus also to watch those games, and they work fantastically. When the game comes on, I hit the thing, boop, it plays, and we're <laughs> watching soccer, yeah, known as football, but soccer. I I was trying to watch one of our topics, the Hatchinoff Curios match. Yeah, I was trying to watch. So I thought I would be a genius, and I thought I'd go next level from the. You, you're recording on VHS. I thought I would step it up a notch. <laughs> Not that bad. And just watch it on demand on the service that I pay for. Right. It's like 50 bucks a year. Yeah. That's not nothing. No. I mean, the kind of money we make on this podcast, it's kind of nothing. <laughs> but listen, so I'm, I'm looking around. They have a ton of matches that you can watch replay-wise. Doubles, right. mixed doubles, legends. Which I've told you that's extremely flawed, but we'll get to, that in, get to that in a second. What? That I click on a match and I see how long it is and I immediately know what happened. Oh, I see. So, in any event, what? Yeah, but don't <laughs> you record matches and you can kind of tell how long? It doesn't matter. No, because anyway. I record the same length of time. I record the time of the broadcast, I so see, I, have, I, see. I don't know when it's going to end. Right, right, right. They well, cut it off as soon as it ends, so if it's a two hour and somebody wins the first set, well, there you know what happened. Right, fair enough. What else can you do? I know. Mean, there's no chance you can. Anyway, you just <laughs> have a, like three hours and an hour is just, blank. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, or it should just not say how long it is. You're just playing and I don't even know it just ends possible. when it ends. <laughs> anyway, so, so I, 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 I scroll through, you know, match after match after match after match. Trying to find the one that's current. No, well, no, no, no. They have them in different. Oh, you different, were just looking to see yeah, different yeah, ones. No, no, yeah. And then I finally get to the, the Curious Hatchinoff one. Hit the thing, and it just spins, <laughs> and just spins. Was it still it in progress? And it, no, it was yesterday. It was today. Oh, and you were trying to watch it after and the last fact. night, and to, on the way right before I got here. So the most exciting match was not accessible. Right, it's perfect. Yeah, it's and exactly. it was on at two a.m. when nobody could watch it. Right. So and maybe that's why because it was so jacked up. But immediately I was like, wait, is this my app? Is this my Wi-Fi? Is this my phone? No. I just clicked on some random, you know, <laughs> cricket or something or other random thing, and it worked perfectly. You yeah. Know, high dev, 4K, whatever it is. Well, that's annoying. Yeah. So I didn't get to see that match at all except for highlights on YouTube. And see, I know so many people who want me to switch to, like, all streaming, and I've had that same issue with various apps, and I'm like, or if you try to fast forward, it takes forever, and it freezes, and it loads, and it buffers, and I'm like... Right. It's not... Work, don't yeah, ever... Yeah, the DVR is expensive, DirecTV is expensive, but stick with it's the VHS. so smooth. Stick with the VHS. <laughs> Got to use tracking every once in a while just to get the lines <laughs> off the screen. But besides that... But no, I... That's a throwback. Yeah, I... Uh, All right. They've made it hard. They've, so st- 
they don't story, make it easy to keep the up story with. of the day or the story the 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 the, high, or the 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 story of the week or the stories of the week certainly do not involve my ESPN plus <laughs> issues but out of those issues what do you think would be gone from that no oh gone. that shouldn't be on there what don't you care about at all um big three I was about to say you know I don't care about the big three but I mean it's you can't say they're not a story because they're going to win the tournament. <laughs> but it's the same story. Right. So in terms of what matters, you know, yeah. and not just to you, but what you think maybe the biggest story is because, you know, that's a, you know, dog bites man versus man yeah. bites dog. The big three winning matches is dog bites man. But Federer dropped a set here and there, you know, right. I mean. I actually didn't care about Coco and Kennan. Only because Coco Osaka was big. It was a big deal. Coco Kennan, to me, nothing would have changed, regardless of who won that match. Right. Because even though Kennan is seated. Well, what I mean by that, yeah, what I mean is that Coco beating Kennan would not be a story compared to her beating Osaka. Oh, except I see. that she's one round deeper in the tournament. It's only a big story if one of them, the winner, goes on to make the finals or win. Um. And now that it's Kennan, it's much less of a story because it's like, well, she's already ranked in the top. Like, she's done what her ranking is supposed to do. Right. So that, to me, isn't a story necessarily. Well, and I'll tell you this. Um, the difference in hype. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I, We talked about that off-air before. The difference between hype between Kennan and golf. No, no, no. The difference in hype between golf Australia 2020 versus golf US Open you know, Wimbledon 2019 is night and day. Totally. And I'm glad for her. Yeah. I, it, it's got to be better for her. When she made some comment in the interview that she was surprised how much support she got from the fans, I was surprised how little support she got from the fans. Not that they weren't cheering for her, but she was not the overwhelming crowd favorite right. in any of her matches, I didn't think. Right. Whereas the U.S. Open, it was deafening, you know, for her matches. So I thought, one, it proves what we already know, which is that ESPN and these tennis channels, they hype up the Americans way more than the rest of the world, which is why I never fall for the hype, and I was wrong in the case of Coco. Right. I can admit now. Well, I mean, again, what did she do? I mean, she lost in three sets and really lost badly in two sets. Yeah. I mean, she looked like a 15-year-old. She looked like she looked like her parents took away her iPhone <laughs> and this during is, that last two sets. <laughs> and this is, they, they will after that match. And this is not to... <laughs> they don't, that's not... Don't, <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> They're wonderful parents, I'm sure. But of not it. to just backtrack on what I just said about being wrong, but I uh, think her loot, like you said, her losing to or her beating Osaka was more about Osaka collapsing than it was about her beating her. Right. Like I wanted to be really excited about her win and and talk about how she's clearly going to be a top ten or top five now, but the way Osaka played, I didn't feel nearly as elated for her right. as I wanted to be. Yeah. But uh, well, if if that performance in the second two sets against Kennan was any indication, then we're super overhyped, right? Because um, she looked not good. Uh, she was just she was very uh, emotionally negative, body language, reaction to every shot. You know, she, it's funny you say that. And then did you hear arm. what she said after? What's that? She said, "I thought I did a pretty good job keeping my negative energy." 
away and keeping a positive attitude and fighting really hard. And I thought, yikes! What? Till, wait till you watch the video. Wow, because it it wasn't that at all. Or maybe she tried the five zero game. She put a lot of effort, but from zero to five, it was like she was ready to get out of there. Wow. So I, yeah, I thought that was disappointing. Yeah, that. May, well, maybe it's worse than when, <laughs> when we don't see her. Maybe it's out of control. Well, not to sound, you know, psychic, but I, when I first saw her serve in this tournament, I said, man, she's changed her serve a lot. And then I said, that's not good for this tournament. I think it's great for her long-term development that she's going bigger on the second serve and going bigger overall and deeper knee bend. But I said, you can't do that in that short of a span without seeing double faults. And she was double faulting. She ended up double faulting a lot in every match. Well, all all I care about is that, I mean, again, I don't care about it, but all that, you know, looking at it from a coaching standpoint, I'm hoping that she is able to take these experiences at this early age where she's only allowed to play a limited schedule and she's playing it in such a way where this is still part of her practice. You know, right. not just de- learning to deal with the experience of playing in, in a in a slam tournament with all the eyes on you. Of course, that's that's part of it as well. But clearly, I mean, Kennan beat her three and zero basically. Right. right. The first set was you know seven six, and but after that it was a, it was done. Yeah. And and it looked like Goff had no chance. She couldn't do anything. And and Kennan is scary. <laughs> I would not want to fight her in an alley. They were, it was funny, they don't, like we say, they don't hype Ken and Harley at all, but during the match, they were hyping her like she was a machine. Before she was even ahead, they were like, Kenan's not going to be bothered by this crowd or by the fact that she's playing a phenom teenager. I'm like, she's not a Grand Slam champion. Like, they were right. acting like she was unbeatable. And by the way, she was crying at the end, so she's no machine. <laughs> right. She's got feelings. It was just funny how, like, all they were acting like this was such a tall order for Coco. I'm like, well, she, she just beat Osaka. She does have a Russian background, so maybe she is a machine. <laughs> they, they know, something we don't know about. Um, So, did you think that... Here's what would make this one of the top five stories of the first week. Were you watching, for us anyway, were you watching the future of women's tennis for the next ten years? Future of American tennis. Um, is this going to be the American one and two in in five years? I, I would pro- well. I think I would put Anna Samova above Kennan for the future. Okay, so Kennan maybe three. I do think Coco is. Like I said, I'm I'm willing to say I was wrong on that. I think she is the next big thing, just because she's so young and she to me showed a lot of improvement from the U.S. Open to this. Right. Um. Just with her game. So I, I yes, I would say yes. And throw Anna Samova in the mix. Yeah. With her injury or whatever she's right. dealing with. Um that's what I thought while I was watching this match. And then I saw I was like, Oh, well, of course Coco's gonna lose these next two sets and her attitude's bad because <laughs> she's fifteen. Right. I mean, she's a, you know, she's still a kid. Literally, she looked I was like Every time she reacted, it looked like her mom just said, "Give me your phone." You, you, you lose your phone for the day. It, that's how she was like. I'm telling ah. you, I've seen their coaching sessions. That's what they do. I'm telling you, how to stop <laughs> every forehand in the net. <laughs> five the minutes, phone. you lose the phone tonight. Uh, yep, no Instagram. Well, and to go back on what we said a minute ago, the reason I'm subtracting the big three storyline from week one is because we already know that's the storyline for week two. So it's like so that's like the mandatory week two storyline of every Grand Slam. So to me, it's not a storyline in week one. Oh, the big three all won easily. But 
Well, except or, Federer didn't. I was going to say, you know, it. But I guess it's only Federer's performance would only be a big story if we thought it was indicative of things to come, and I don't think it is. See, I was going to say for me, the the only storyline of the big three that I care about from week one is the Federer fade. So um, you think it is a fade? Yeah, but how many times have I said that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't listen the, <laughs> to I don't listen to anything ever that you. And said. he just made the Wimbledon final six months ago, so it's like, can you say he's fade? I just will say he did not look good against Millman, but he also didn't look good four years ago when he was losing every slam, and now he's you know back to three in the world. Yeah, I just think. Somebody after that, his comeback win said, oh, I hope he plays till he's 50. And I'm like, I hope he quits tomorrow because he looked so bad. <laughs> I don't want to see Federer like that. I really don't. Uh, uh, I'm indifferent on that aspect of it. I don't, if he, if he. I mean, it's admirable on his part, but I just, if I'm going to remember Federer, I want to remember him, you know, from the Wimbledon finals and the U.S. Open and just well, destroying everybody. And listen, Millman, I think, may be a little bit kryptonite for him. You know, not kryptonite, yeah. but just. You know, he's a, he's a tough... And everybody has people like that. Right. Because, I mean, you know, his next match against your favorite player, well, at least play with your favorite name, Buksevic, it was it was four sets, but it wasn't. Again, no, it was just terrible. like that Coco, you know, Kennan match, it was like, yeah, they had a tough set, and then that was it. Right. Federer's yeah. warmed up now. Yeah, 6-4 for uh, Fukovic, and then 1-2-2 two, and two for Federer. Yeah. I mean, come on, that's not even... Uh, he didn't win enough to even win a set after that. Right. Um, and that didn't surprise me. Um, but I, what I mean by the Federer fade is I don't see any way he wins a slam just because he's, his game is too erratic now. He can play an amazing match still, but for him to now do that seven times in a row, I just don't see how he can do it. And his physical is what you're saying. Yeah. He's old. Because he's going to have, old? he's going to, well, he's going to, have a bad match that he can still win like he always has, but he doesn't have the ability to bounce back like he used to. Like, if he had had to bounce back in that Fuksevich match against, you know, a Djokovic or even a Tsitsipas or somebody like that, there's no way. Right. And that's what it was. I mean, he played a long match. He made some joke about not being able to get out of bed in the morning, <laughs> you know, before. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then he, he his body loosened up and he, and he you know, did what he was supposed to get to do against uh, Fuksevich. Whatever his name is, so you know, uh, you know what I think it is. Oh, but, I do. Um, oh, I do. <laughs> so the bottom half is not, you know, uh, a mystery if you ask me. <laughs> because Djokovic, you want to talk about whether the big three are a story? I mean, the story's not not Djokovic either. He's being Djokovic, right? He's being the Djokovic that I predicted would win a Joker Slam last year, but of course he didn't. But it wasn't. My, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> 40-mile-an-hour wins. <laughs> Again, that's my number one. Although he did lose the U.S. Open, too, just to clarify. Yeah, I think he was a uh, bad shellfish or something. <laughs> but had he not lost the French, He would have been playing for... It would have right. been different. So I'm predicting a Djokovic slam again. And if I was allowed to gamble, I would put money on it. Well, and so like, you, like we've said, how can the story be that when the story exactly what we thought right. happened happened right that's not a story right and, and by the way we why do we have to see i say this every slam but why do we have to see every point of every match with Federer, nadal djokovic 
ratings. Six two six they, three five zero. They they are hedging all their bets. Like this is the last year anybody's ever going to buy commercial time <laughs> on their dumb station. They don't realize. But it's their that, fault that it's that's going to be the case. Exactly. That's my point. If they would just do a, they, they call us. If they call in, if you're broadcasting the Australian Open, call in. We'll help you out. I got a question for you that's related to that. All right. Pretend you're ESPN. So not what you would do, but what you think ESPN would do. Okay. List your top five in order of who they're going to show. Like all five are playing at the same time. What order are they going to show? Because I think it's I think it's changing a little bit. Oh, you do? Yeah. You think it's Djokovic now? No. <laughs> who are you talking about? Everybody, Serena? men and women. Oh, okay. So you think it's? Well, I don't. I don't know. It's hard, but I think. I was debating if Federer still won or not. I think Federer and think, Serena are probably one two in I think some order. Federer, Serena, I think Federer still should should bring the most eyeballs. Just more because, so because they know he's not going to have many more. Too. Well, and that and everything else he is, all the community service around the world that he yeah. does, and the and the history and the blah blah blah, and Mister Ambassador, and he doesn't do the dumb heart thing, which <laughs> I'm sure everyone hates that. Well, I do agree that if I if someone turns on tennis, a casual fan or a non fan. And they see that it's Federer, that's probably gonna. He's probably most likely to generate interest, you know, whether they stay and watch the whole match or whatever. But I, what was interesting is you had Coco playing and Djokovic playing at the same time, and they were showing Coco. That kind of shocked me. Hmm. Nobody like, likes Djokovic. I know, Nobody but is Coco him. already top five in that list? Because Nadal's got to be three or I think, four. I think when Coco is on the tour full time, no. Yeah, but it's she, a little bit of a she pops novelty. in right, exactly. Uh, she, she can't play a full schedule, you know. Um, she's got to be in algebra class or whatever <laughs> tomorrow. So, yeah, she's not playing again until Indian Wells, by the way. There you go. Uh, which is crazy. Which, but I just think is that, great because what is that next year at the beginning of the Australian Open series? <laughs> oh wait, but check back a couple episodes if you didn't hear that, folks. Indian Wells uh, right. is the beginning of our. Australian Open Series. You heard it here first. But I just think it's interesting that I think Coco has surpassed Djokovic. And so it just makes me, you know, let's say Federer and Serena do retire, whether it's this year or next year. I don't think Djokovic moves up to that one spot, like of always getting the prime time or the TV. Right. He, hadn't had a, he hasn't had a prime time uh, match yet either so for the Australian Open. If hmm, He's been daytime every match. And he's number one in the world and the heavy favorite to win. Because he was playing Schwartzman, yeah, and Federer's playing Fuksovics, and Federer gets the prime time, uh, you know, slot for the Rod Laver Arena. Yeah, I don't know, and maybe they're making the Coco decision based on all the hype that they hear, and yeah, you know, because they're just chasing ratings. Yeah, well, that and that's what I mean. If I'm, is Djokovic really number four or five? Which is really sad. And I think that's why we're saying that tennis viewing is going to go down because he's going to be the only one left for the next three, four years. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny because when are they going to stop showing Serena? Because she's never going to win right. another slam. <laughs> or is she? That's what I mean. Are they going to still, like, that's why I'm saying it's changing, I think. But I think Federer and Serena are still 1-2. I think Serena's going to be not number two soon. Because she can't, I mean. Well, right now she's in the, the Dallas Cowboys phase, which is can't win, but always lose dramatically. <laughs> right. uh, so you're always going to get a lot of interest for that but you're never going to be the one that wins it. 
All right, so my favorite question, by the way, in her press conference is, "Would you did you think you were fit and ready for this match?" <laughs> I'm like, these, I swear, these people ask these questions just hoping they're going to go off. Oh, I'm sure they do. Because that question, there's no way yeah. that's a legitimate question. That's like asking, "Are you fat?" Yeah, that's I mean, basically it, it what that person did. And but and, and she handled. I never give her credit. She handled. She goes, "Yeah, I thought I was ready." Right. I, I mean, I could. I was waiting, and I wouldn't have been mad at her that time because that was right. a ridiculous question. Right. All right, so so the big three are just off the table because the story there is no there there because it's the same same yeah, old song and right. dance. All right, so you think Coco Coco Golf in and of herself is the story or the culmination of her and Kenan? Does Kenan have to be part of that to be a top five story? No, I think like I said, I don't think Kenan really added to that story for okay. me. Okay, which is I mean. It's sad, but I well, really don't who, think it does. It's who took her out, though, is yeah. sort of why I add that. It's like that's where the story for Coco ended. Well, so and like I said, it, if Kenan goes a little farther, then it's then it makes it like it it, it adds interest well, to that story. Well, that's a week two right. issue, but so but what I mean is it make Coco makes Coco's loss look better, right? If Kenan gets blown out in the next round, it's like oh well, Coco really didn't. So you think Golf herself is a story, a top five story for week one? Yeah, I think it's a it's a forced story, but. I think she earned it this time. Okay. I think it would. they would have made it a story no matter what. I think she wrote the story as opposed to the story being written ahead right. of her. That's what I mean. They would have, It would have been their story no matter what for right. ESPN, but this time she actually beat somebody, and none of them expected her to win that, by the way. Um, uh, most of the Osaka commentators or? expected Coco to beat Osaka. They were yeah. giving, everybody was picking Osaka. Well, and rightfully so, because yeah. the last time they played, you know. But that was nice that we didn't hear the American bias that we normally hear. What I was mean? just of them picking her to acting like she's going to be number one. Oh, Where, right, right. Even going somebody off the deep end. Because well, like somebody said after as that match was going on, well, whoever wins this has to be one of the favorites to win the tournament. I'm like, well, I don't think if Coco wins this, she's going to be a favorite to win the Australian Open. <laughs> and you were correct. <laughs> but I'll take I'll call this as a mini story. It's the the and they're not all of them, but the next gen disappointment. It just I don't know why I'm constantly surprised by it. But Tsitsipas goes out straight sets. Shapovalov goes out straight sets. Felix goes out straight sets. By the way... Um, no, they may not have gone out straight sets, but they went out first round. Right. So I heard or saw or something, a comment by... It might have been on Twitter. It might have been... I don't know where it was. Uh, Martina Navratilova. Yeah. And <laughs> she had... Oh, it was, it was on the pregame, the pre-whatever... Right. And she had Medvedev as the fourth favorite behind the big three. And I think that's what the Vegas has too. Right, which means it's happening. Right. It's happening. Yeah. The, the next next gen is surpassing the next gen. Right. And the next gen is never going to win. No. They're never going to win. And, and, and then guess what? We'll Hasht- be right. Hashtag weakest era. <laughs> uh, well, I'm telling you, the only one that's going to break that is team just because of the French Open. Right. He's, he's probably going to win one or two French Opens, but that's it. Zverev is quietly going through the draw in this tournament, but we're just, I'm just waiting for the implosion. Yeah, I, I think whenever he gets to the lowest-ranked player that he <laughs> has in his half, that's when he'll Well, lose. I thought Verdesca was going to beat him for sure just because that's the kind of player that Beats him. has the Grand Slam experience, and he kind of went out meekly. But yeah, it's just Tsitsipas really surprised. And again, losing losing is part of it. But right. how you lose 
is a bigger part. Particularly when, I mean, rankings mean something. Right. Uh, that means you have beaten the people that are below you or won enough matches more right. than they have to be ahead of them. Yeah. So it should be indicative, there's my word, <laughs> of the week, um, uh, that you should win some matches. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, so that doesn't seem to be a story though because it's what we I know it's like we expect. said it's expected so it's it can't just, be a story it's the inverse of what we expect with the big three right what about the upsets on the women's side though is that a story or well like you said that could fall into the category of expected also maybe to I me mean, what was surprising Serena, is some of them losing so badly too like Benchich got smoked yes yeah, she I mean, she lost in mere minutes I mean, it was <laughs> and there was another top eight player that got smoked i can't remember offhand who it was um oh Muguruza beat Svitolina that's what it was yeah like one and two that's, that's kind of like the seats that's who i forgot to put in the first week story is moogie yeah what do you think of, about her oh, i agree with that. i think that's a top five story out of nowhere well, not out of nowhere, back from nowhere, right, maybe, true. but not out of nowhere. But that's like the Raonic beating Tsitsipas. It's like, that's why... Well, he's out of, not out of nowhere, but back right. from nowhere. But that's what I mean. That's why the next gen gets no credit, because they can't beat the previous next gen right. ever. Right. Like It's like three or four eras of next gens that can't do anything. Um, and it's like they progressively get worse. Every, every gen is worse than the previous next gen. I don't, well, I think this Medvedev the group, yeah. maybe, you know, there'll be some, That's what we're hoping. Because now Rublev, I mean, I, I still like him. I think he needs to put some things together, but yeah, his, well, hair that's another a, big, his hair is a problem. That's another of the big matches, Rublev and Zverev. I can't wait yeah, for that. I think Rublev's going to take him out, but we don't make predictions. <laughs> um, yeah, so Muguruza looks, I mean, excited. It's, I'm excited to see her back. Right. That's one of those things where it's like, yeah, women's tennis is great. Oh, wait, Mugi's <laughs> back too? Wow, that adds a lot. Yeah. Do you hate the Tennis Channel predictions as much as I do, by the way? I hate everybody's predictions. Well, that's what I mean. Let's just talk about that in the context of all sports. There's a hundred and twenty <laughs> there's a hundred and twenty eight human beings in the women's <laughs> draw and then hundred and twenty eight right. in the men's draw. Are you kidding me? You're gonna pick now on the men's side. Yeah, I mean, we've got some factors that play into <laughs> the fact that you gotta you know, like a one in three chance. You should of only get, pick one of three names. Right. And to be all uh, in all honesty, you should pick two of the three but that's true whatever um but what i find comical about it is from the moment the predictions are made five minutes later i don't remember any of them and they rarely at least tennis channel does go back the next day and like makes fun of their people but like even on the nfl pregame shows they all make their predictions and then the next week they make their predictions they don't ever go back and say i remember you picked this game right last week it's just like Unless you're predicting now, it and making some analysis with that's it. it. That's it. That's what I was going to say. Now, if you say, hey, if, you know, if um, Nadal is really, you know, no, I won't use him because he wins all the time. <laughs> if, if Nadal walks on the court, yeah. if he wins. Kyrgios doesn't throw any chairs <laughs> or if, you He doesn't know, play for Kansas. If, <laughs> not nice, that was a stool. <laughs> if, uh, if Muguruza, you know, whatever. Yeah, if you make predictions on what could happen to allow her to play her game or not play her game, which would, would lend itself to winning or losing. Now we're talking. Right. Now the fan, which is what these commentators should do while they're commentating matches, right. but they don't. Yeah. Um, then it gives the fan something to get a hold of and really a, a f area of focus while they're watching the match. Right. And then they can sort of, assess whether that player's doing that thing or not doing that thing and whether the opponent's taking advantage or not right. taking advantage 
of that thing. And then it gives you something to hang on to while you're watching instead of just mindlessly watching people hit forehands back and forth. And even Brad Gilbert with his checklist, that really doesn't matter in terms of who's going to win. Like, for example, Nadal could play somebody who has a better backhand, better serve, you know, better volleys. It doesn't matter. Nadal's still going to win because his forehand is 50 times better than theirs. Right. Uh, or it's on clay or whatever. Like that, to add up the checks and see who wins, that doesn't do it for me. Right. There's, there's way more than that that matters. Yeah. It's entertaining, but it's not, to me, not analysis of a match. Well, I, don't what think, else, I, don't, I, I haven't seen him do that this time. I tournament. guess the other side of that is, I mean, I think that's sort of why we have sworn off predicting. Yeah. Because it's absurd. Yeah. I mean, and there's so, I mean, I don't know what the math is because I don't know math, but <laughs> what, what are the total number of possible outcomes in a 128 draw? Yeah. Uh, well, well, there's three on the men's side, but <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there, it's right. in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands right. of different combinations oh, of things that can hundreds happen. Hundreds of millions, probably. So, so even picking a tournament is is ridiculous overall, except on the men. Just go to the first round and try to pick a match and see what happens. <laughs> well, I can tell you from doing it for the first time this year that it's very difficult. So you've gone away from fantasy tennis, huh? Yeah, we went to bracket so you, tennis. You're one step less nerdy? <laughs> yeah, we don't do it ourselves anymore. We let a nerdy website do it for us. Um, and this is a bracket challenge type basically, situation? Basically, yeah. Is it on ten- Tennis Channel? Used to have one. Do they still yeah, do Yeah, so they, I guess they farm it out now because you go, you go to Tennis Channel, but then it forwards you to some other website uh, called see. Turnitopia. They need to sponsor the show. But to us, it's so obvious that there's two potential winners, you know, of the of the men's, and so I'm doing this thing with ten guys, and I was shocked that please name them if you're going to make fun of them. Please put <laughs> that at least three or four of them picked somebody other than Nadal or Djokovic. That just shocks me. One of them picked Kyrgios, which I'm like, Kyrgios hasn't beaten, he hasn't made a semi of a slam, and he's going to win the slam. It's just. And I'm not an NCAA coach, so there is uh, some uh, prizes involved. If it was for fun, you're just picking whoever, then do whatever you want. Yeah, but, but if, you, if, you, if I've got to get it right, yeah, I'm going to go with Vegas. I'm putting the, the right. lock on one of two people. Yeah, I don't. So I'm, I've been shocked that I guess it's still just us that believe it's the weakest era. Like it's, we haven't done a good enough job convincing people, which in this case might benefit me. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. Like Medvedev, I could see that pick. But I still don't see him beating two, you know, Djokovic and Nadal back to back. Well, as I, I think we were talking about this off air, but the second best podcast, tennis podcast in the world, <laughs> uh, behind us is the tennis podcast, and one of the hosts on there interviewed Mats Vilander, and that's he made that point today in January of 2020. Yeah. Which we made 150 episodes ago, right? And I've been making before that, before you got on board, right? Because uh, you didn't believe me at first, no. Um, that the gap between the big three and everyone else is absurd, yeah. And that's and again, that's because in part, Warinka had some injury issues. Delpo, obviously, right. you know. Um, I would, I'll be honest with you, I even think Keenan Nishikori could have been a threat, but he's had mm-hmm. ongoing issues. And obviously Murray. And then and then the the main one that has done the most damage outside the big three is Murray. Um and so include him. And Chilich. 
Right. You know, although Chilich hadn't had real the the sustained injuries some of those other guys no. have had. But he said it today, and I'm like, where you been for two and a half or three years there, well, big guy? And by the way, all those guys you just listed have losing records against all the big three, I'm sure, even when they're right. healthy. healthy, sure. Yeah, yeah, they've yeah, got yeah. wins over them, but not, right. you know, they're still... Well, that's better than everyone else. Right. They are healthy and don't have wins. So <laughs> they're, they're in, you know, the, the big four, as we like right. to call the conglomeration of all those other players that could be at that level. Um, if they all... I wonder if they all have different different injuries and we could patch them all together into <laughs> one player. Uh, yeah, and what you said about his comment that they're farther apart now than they've ever been. I'm not sure if he said that. Well, that's going a step further, even if it is true. Right. But, I but mean, that's more the fact that these young guys suck. Right. Not the old guys are getting old. Well, and that's the thing. Like as we, The point we made that started this whole thing is you have one of two options. Fetter's better now than he was, you know, at 32 or 30, or the competition is worse. It has to be one or the other. Right. And I think, obviously, a little easier to answer that now with watching Federer is he's definitely not as good as he was when he was 30, which means the competition is worse. two years ago was he? Yeah. Three years ago was he? And I still don't buy it. Yeah. I mean, you can be smart all you want, but you're still old. Yeah, it's... uh, So it really... I've been getting, I've again, I've fallen into the hype of getting excited about the newcomers, you know, thinking the changing the guard's coming, and I get let down every time. Tsitsipas was really the one, and then I finally got to thinking about Tsitsipas, like, more closely today, or this week. He's got one big Grand Slam win. If you remember, he beat Federer, Australian Open, last year. Right. Well, John Millman beat Federer in the U.S. Open 2018. <laughs> and so we have to put that in context. He's on par. With- well, that's what I mean. We have to put it into context. Like, what have you really done for me to be excited about you? Because <laughs> he lost to Fabiano at, at, uh, the, at Wimbledon, I believe, and lost to Warinka at the French, which is not a bad loss. But, you know, I think we all got on the bandwagon. We beat Federer. Well, then you're thinking about, okay, well, the last six slams, he's lost to this, this, this. this. Well, maybe not. Maybe we need to hold our horses here. Right. And he got smoked by Nadal, you know, two rounds after he beat Federer. So it's no one's Grand Slam results make me excited except Medvedev's. And that was really one slam. So and we'll see. To be honest with you, none of that matters either. It's, again, doing it. Every, the constant are the big three. Right. Everything else is always in flux. And now is Medvedev going to fade? We right. don't know. And anybody that says, oh, now this is the guy right. that's going to Like we never heard that before. Whatever. It's, it, whatever. What, please. The, the numbers are on my side to say, give it a minute. Uh, <laughs> well, and I, and I you, hope he is. I hope right. he does. And don't you, but don't you have the same, so they're at their converse, you know, converse relationships. Watching. You mean inverse? No. Or converse. What does converse mean? <laughs> that's a shoe. Opposite. Uh-huh. Uh, but like when I watch. Federer in a match. Well, let's not say Federer because he's fading. But when I'm watching Nadal in a match, I have no doubt when I'm watching what's going to happen. Right. If it, even if he's down three, two, four in the first set, I still okay. I know what's going to happen. Whereas when I watch Tsitsipas or Zverev or Medvedev, if they're down two, four, I'm like, you can oh, watch man, it and you're like, this doesn't look good. This is bad. This, he's not going to. And that's like you said. That's the constant. Is the early rounds of a slam. There's just no doubt what's going to happen with the big three. 
Whereas every match with the next gen has it, to be a, a topsy turvy roller coaster. Well, and we haven't seen enough of Medvedev yet to to pigeonhole him, not pigeonhole because it's actually a real thing, but to to label him that way. Right. He hasn't um, had bad early round losses since he's gotten to the higher level. But it's just to me, it makes the next gen matches more exciting. I'm not going to deny that, which is why I think they should be showing more of those. Right. Um, but it's the complete opposite of when I watch a big three match because I'm like, oh, this is like even when Federer won that second set against Fuksovics, I'm like, okay, this is over. Yeah. Like we know it's yeah, done. I would have put my house on it if right. I was allowed to gamble. Um, all right. So what, uh, so Kyrgios and Kyrgios versus Hatchinoff. So now yes. the reason I say not just, so here's why Kyrgios might be a story. His emotional reaction early on, you know, with um, the fires, right? Obviously, his hometown. I was going to say, remember the home slam criteria we like. And yes, you're, yeah, you're brilliant. Uh, you know, um, checklist for what makes a slam a slam a great slam. And you know, the ace total along with the money raised and all the rest of it. Which, although, by the way, they not, haven't made a. I was going to say they're not. It's on, the, it's on the website, but it def, they, they definitely should be hyping that. It should flash on the screen every time he hits an ace. Right. Every, um, well, everybody, they should have a list of everyone that's in it, and during every match, they should have their numbers right next to their names. I'm going to say the funniest thing you've ever heard, by the way. This is good. Hold on. Go ahead. Did you hear what Zverev offered? No. Uh, if he wins the tournament, he's going to donate all of his prize money to the fire relief. All right, folks, we need to start donating to the fire relief uh, because Zverev is not going to donate anything. Well, no, so my favorite part of that was 10000 per win, which is awesome. I'm not going to criticize him for that. That's great. But if he wins the tournament, 100%. All of it. So then well, what does he do if he gets in the final? <laughs> do I want to keep my $2 million to myself? No. Or do I want to win? No, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to do this no. on purpose. But I just thought that was a really weird offering to make. Here's why I don't like it. I like it because everybody pitching in, saying everything, and being generous and doing that, that's fantastic. Right. However, <laughs> to say that and not be self aware to know how ridiculous it is that you're going to win, <laughs> right, is almost a slap in the face of the people that are counting on the money yeah. to help save lives, rebuild, you know, all the rest of it. Because. If he wins, I'll donate $2 million <laughs> to... But you know what? I thought how amazing of a PR if he's in the final. Right. Because the fans, you got, they got to cheer for him. How can they not? Like, if you, we win, you get, we get $3 million. And what if he's playing Kyrgios and they're both like, <laughs> we'll both donate. Right. Um, well, and it makes Kyrgios look like a jerk if... He does like, if I win, I'm going <laughs> to donate all my money, you know... So I think it could end up I being sure crazy. Wish he had a chance to win, then it would really. <laughs> That's matter what I mean. It could be lot. crazy. Well, on the one hand, you say, "Would you like to hear something funny?" But it's really not because it's so absurd. It is kind of. But maybe he's that delusional. I don't know. He is a professional or tennis player. He knows he has no chance. That's why he offered it. So he looks like which a hero. would be really bad. That's the that's, worst. Yeah. yeah. I I choose to believe he's delusional. <laughs> but anyway, no. Back to your. All right. So Curio. So. And the fact that he is still in the draw. So, irrespective of the actual match with Kachanov, Hatchinoff. I hate that, by the way. I know. <laughs> um, They're going to come back 10 years later like they did with Warinka and say, it's, it's Kachanov. Yeah. It's been Kachanov all this time. Y'all have been stupid saying Hatchinoff. <laughs> so, Kyrgios. 
Now, again, first week. This is biggest stories of the first week. So his Nadal match, uh, you know, I don't know. Does that count yet? No, because this is the tonight is officially the start of the second week. Right. That's so. true. Right. So really, Sangren Fanini is not part of that either. No, because that was yesterday. That was that was Saturday for our time. So that so, was the seventh day. Well, to me, the second week starts. Oh, so either the second start starts in the quarters or starts in the fourth round. It should be the round of sixteen. You're right. So the round of sixteen is the start of the second week. Right. Technically. So it's easy to tell in Wimbledon because they skip that Sunday. Right. But yeah, that's always kind of interesting the way they do that. So technically, that Sangra match was week two. Yeah. So anyway, so Curios, how is he as a story? Oh, I think it's a huge story. I think it's a big story. I think it's definitely top five. By the way, he might be on that list I've mentioned earlier about top five of viewing. Um, I think so. I probably left him. He probably should be fourth or fifth. No, but I think a fair um, indication of that would be, or a clarification would be top five that you're watching because of the tennis. Right. If you're watching because of the car wreck aspect (laughs) of it, but ESPN right. doesn't care. I, well, yeah, but I do. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I guess. Like, they don't care why you watch. Yeah, I guess. But it's unsustainable that way. Right. So, and at some point, if he's not winning, then nobody gets just a kid having a tantrum. Yeah. Uh, we can watch that on YouTube. So, <laughs> uh, so okay. So, just generally, then, you think. Well, I think like you said, a, all the elements, the fact that he's Australian, the fact that he's ridiculously talented still, the fact that he can explode to me, it's not the car wreck element. It's the almost like I talk wreck. about with Federer, the swerving yeah. on on the highway. <laughs> like Federer, I know what's going to happen. With Kyrgios, I truly don't know what's going to happen at any moment, right. tennis wise or you <laughs> know outburst wise. Yeah. So I think he has both elements in there. Like at one point, he was, I think it was fifteen all in a fairly crucial game, and he approached the net and tried a tweener facing the net. Right. And like almost fell down trying to hit it. <laughs> and and you flash over to Hewitt and he like just was like clapping. Come on, let's go. Next point. It's like Right. It's now so regular, it's not even like they didn't even criticize him for it. Right. It's just what he does. So you know, tacked on to him as a story. He had a match against Hatchinoff that some referred to as one of the best matches they've ever seen. Now, I told you about my difficulties trying to watch it, and that's the number one reason I tried to find that match in particular is because I saw comments on Twitter that this was one of the best matches ever. Right. And I thought, well, first of all, there's no chance. (laughs) First of all. Second of all, does it even fit the criteria to be a great match? And third of all, wait a second. What are the criteria right. to have a great match? <laughs> well, it just so happens I did some prep for this show. You can't tell, but I did. <laughs> so my, I think the first question we got to figure out is what it takes, what factors it takes to quantify a great match. Right. So I think we can do that. I think there are elements that lend themselves right. to it being a pretty great much match. necessary. Number And this is in no particular order. I, I think yeah. the criteria sort of all are equal weight, maybe. Number one, high stakes. So if Federer and Nadal go play each other in, you know, in Federer's backyard <laughs> on a Sunday in November and it's a knockdown drag out, 
There's no high stakes there. Yeah, those are usually the best matches. Somebody's side court down the street that means yeah. absolutely nothing. Like when they played the clay grass half court, half and a half that <laughs> or, nobody remembers. Or, or they played on the helicopter pad <laughs> of the tallest building in Dubai right. or whatever. <laughs> so high stakes. And to me, by the way, that high stakes means it has to be a slam. No offense to the Australian Open Series, Indian Wells, or you know Cincinnati. And but the year end doesn't count either. No, it's got to be, I mean, maybe a, a Masters final, but even then... I don't think it can compare to a slam. Right. The stakes of a slam. Agreed. For men especially. Yeah. I think for both. Yeah. So, because although I think the players put way too much emphasis on the slams, it's still there still obviously needs to be more on the slams. I just think they go too far uh, and denigrate the rest right. of the calendar. Well, but like what you're saying is because the players put so much emphasis on it, that's why that Even if they didn't, there. that's their problem. It's still the Super Bowl. Right. So... So, okay, so high stakes, which basically means a slam. And I don't think it means a slam first round. I was going to say it probably has to be mm, quarters on. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, maybe round of 16, kind of that same debate. No, I think it's got to be quarters. And, and the reason, because potentially all the seeds are together now in the quarters. Right. Well, I think. Not all of them, because we think they should, you, you think there should be four, I think there should be. <laughs> Well, the only reason this can go in hindsight is if it's a incredible round of 16 match and the winner goes on to win the tournament. Yeah, but it's not a great match because of what could happen. Right, it's that's what I mean. It's got to stand on its own. I know, that's the problem. So I think high stakes. I, I think you. It's, I think what you said is right. It's got to be quarters. The furthest I would stretch back in a tournament. Or farthest? Furthest in this case, right? Yes, uh -huh. Furthest I would stretch back in a tournament, I'm learning, is uh, the quarters. I think you're right, because if you win an amazing match before that and then lose the next round, it doesn't. who cares? Or if you, you win play, an amazing quarter and then lose the next round. Or you play four other matches, and right. it's like, that it's one's long memorable. forgotten. Right. If it's not, you know, whatever. I agree with anyway, you. Anyway, so high stakes. All right, number two, high level. So two, three, five guys at your club, even if they happen to make it to the U.S. Open final somehow. <laughs> Bird flu. Please do not give them any ideas. Yeah. Uh, they already think that. Right. So it, it, it doesn't matter. The level's got to be high, so you have to have the best players in the world. So two guys that are 50 in the world, regardless, you know, 50 and 51. Right. Uh, regard Or women, regardless of the circumstances, that takes away a bit from it because they're not that player yet. Right. And even if they get there down the road, they're not that day. Yeah. But they did have somehow got to a Grand Slam final. Well, let's <laughs> see. All right. So high quality. So it can't just be close. See, and that's the, the to well, me, that's the biggest thing that people put way too much emphasis right. on is how close the score was. Oh, it was, was. a tie break. Like yes, Isner Mahout. There was nine breaks. <laughs> yeah, Isner Mahout should not be on the top 100 list of best matches ever. Right, it was awful. Even though it was the closest match in awful. history. It was awful. Um, overall, it was awful. Yeah. You know. All right. Um, so high quality. All right, and then there's bonus things that may add to that. And then I texted you earlier, uh, and you had some thoughts, but unexpected. Um, so bonus things would be contrasting styles. Right. We can add if we can possibly add that in. I mean, I'd rather see Federer play either Djokovic or Nadal than have Nadal and Djokovic play each right. other. Right, because it's hard to be compelling for that long if you both play the same way. Because you're gonna get the same series of points throughout the match. Right. Um, 
And also, it's sort of like, who can nudge this rock just a smidgen further each point? <laughs> right. Right? I mm-hmm. mean, if you and I are hitting forehands back and forth, and we have the same kind of heavy ball, and it's who can hit it one inch a little bit wider and a little bit deeper yeah. versus, oh, here comes Federer to the net, and here comes a passing shot. We're really going to get to find out it's a seesaw, not sort of a tug of war. And you're going to see what tennis is, which is every stroke. Everything, right. Um, so another sort of bonus thing would be personalities. So, you know, you had an Agassi and you had a Sampras who had contrasting styles and were different guys, different right. personalities. Although at the tail end of the career, Agassi certainly wasn't as flashy. Um, unexpected circumstances is sort of another bonus thing. So weather. Right. So in the quote unquote greatest match ever. Yeah. Um, with Nadal and uh, Federer at Wimbledon. Strokes of genius. Strokes of genius. The weather played a factor. It started raining, if you recollect, Which and is darkness. You know, so that's a, a an element that adds suspense, an element that changes the dynamic to where now the players have to react to us a, a different issue. But what's funny about that, and I agree with you about unexpected circumstances, but I think it, what's funny about that match in particular is I think that made that match not the greatest of all time for me <laughs> because it started at seven a.m. and ended at like four p.m. because right. of all the delays and all, I mean. I don't think the people were, that were there necessarily think it was the greatest match ever because they'd sat there all <laughs> day. And they, I mean, when you watch it on TV now, it's incredible because the three-hour rain delay is taken out. Right. And they just go from the, one, the last point to the next point. Right. Uh, so then injury, you know, if, if somebody sort of has to overcome dealing with something while the ma- you know, they right. tweak something. And I don't mean a Fonini take a timeout for a <laughs> blister nonsense. Um, but... That sort of thing where, uh-oh, he's, you know, so a la Pete Sampras throwing up at the Australian Open, mm-hmm. and then Courier saying, hey, man, you know, we can do this another day if you want, which he was, trying oh, no, nice. no, that was when he was crying. Yeah, because so that, his coach had died. Right, so his coach died, and, and Sampras didn't really hear him right. Yeah, I thought he was being well, rude. I don't think he really thought that because he knows Courier, and right. he knows the relationship with Gully and all the rest of his old coach and stuff. So, but... It's one of those Michael Jordan things where he just finds something yeah. and will himself to whatever. Uh, but that kind of thing, that was a, uh, you know, if that match was 7-6-6-7-7-6-7-6-7-6-7 and you had the element of Pete Sampras dealing with his coach dying of brain right. cancer and, you know, another American player who he obviously was, you know, very familiar with Gullickson and all the rest of it, that would have added to, that's a special circumstance that sort of, adds an element um, to it. So injury or something weird like that, or, you know, when Sampras is throwing up and then serving aces, um, that kind of thing. (laughs) All the minor Sampras, I don't know why. (laughs) Um, So what what else, what other factors do you think would... Well, I think it's got to be, which kind of goes with what you said about high level or high quality, but it's got to be top players that you care about slash know slash like slash hate. (laughs) You know, it's... right. If I turn on a match, no offense to Vinci and Panetta, but that could have been the most amazing final ever, and it wasn't going to be the most amazing match ever just because I didn't right. really care who won. Well, I, so I think caring who won has a lot to do with I'll it. I'll tell you, yeah, okay. So compelling uh, characters, compelling, yeah. yeah. So I do think some of those categories could have fit for you know the Vinci example and Panetta. It could have been a high quality, no right. unfor- it could have been no unforced errors. It could have been one coming to the net a lot. And they're both 
you know, not Hall of Famers, but right. they're both top twenty or top, whatever they were. You know, um, and so it could have been a great match when we think of those players. Oh, that was her greatest match, right. and it was, but it's it wouldn't be an all time great match, no, um, because it doesn't have some of those elements. I think if you can get any kind of, and I don't consider this necessary, but anytime there's some type of controversy, that that helps. Well, I, I think <laughs> and you it have doesn't to be have to careful, be, though. Because that's what I mean. It can't be a train wreck controversy. Right. Maybe. So let's say Serena doesn't lose her stuff at the U.S. Open and against Osaka in the final. Argues with the official. You know, he wasn't coaching or whatever. Right. And then gets her life together. And takes it to three. And doesn't, you know, attack the ref anymore or whatever right. she did doesn't do that anymore, and then overcomes it, then there's less controversy, less train wreck, and more of that outside unexpected right. element that she overcame, which adds to the obstacle of playing a phenom at that time, right. upcoming phenom of Osaka. I think that fit, but I think in that scenario, it's like that's where that fine line of what you're talking about, the train wreck element. Right. I mean, the train blew off the tracks, went through the middle of the town, <laughs> you know, hit, you know, a factory and blew the town up. Um, well, I think even in terms of controversy, I mean something as simple as, uh-oh, you know, are they going to finish the match? Or oh, is like that really going to bother them? Or is that, you know, they just rolled their ankle. Are they going to be able to get up and keep playing? Are they, you know, something like that. Like you said, the crying, you know, Sampras crying in the you match. Is going to be able to keep playing? When you repeat something I said, that means you really thought I was right. <laughs> so, all right. So, with that being said... Did Kyrgios Hatchinoff have those elements? Because here's the score. 6-2. This is Kyrgios 1. So 6-2-7-6. And then Hatchinoff won the next two sets, 7-6-7-6. And then Kyrgios won the last set, 7-6-10-8. Right. Now. I watched the entire match, by the way. Okay. So the first set obviously did not, did not have quality. Right. It was 6-2. Yeah. So the level of how much quality, if you play a five-setter, then all five sets should be high quality. Right. Although, if you take a match like the War of 1816, uh -huh. a, right? Yeah. They had some stinkers in that match, some sets. Well, and I was going to say, if if you have a match like that, I think if you're going to have a bad set, it has to be the first one. Okay, and that to was. Be in the, to be in the greatest match ever category. In one break, doesn't a bad set make, of course. Right. But a 6-1 set, that was the first set of that match was 6-1. Yeah. And so that's like what But I think saying. in some ways that can I, build. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. The first, that's a good, you Claire, you said it better than I did, really. Uh, I kind of was formulated in my head. But yeah, the first set, if it goes the sideways on you and everybody comes back and is like, wow, they got rid of that set and then the rest is brilliant, I think yeah. you're good. If you throw one in in the fourth because you're tired and you're just, kinda, whatever, and right. then you come back now the fifth, I think that's Which I really it. thought was what was going to happen in Sanger and Fonini, by the way. I thought Sanger was going to blow the fourth set like 1-6 and then it was going to go to 5 Right. And I was impressed that it, that he didn't. Again, who now? Sangren and Fonini. Oh, right. I thought he would just blow the... Because he lost the third so dramatically, I thought he would just blow the fourth. And then the fifth would be dramatic, maybe. What are you talking about? 
It was seven six seven five, and then Fonini won seven six. Right. I thought in the fourth, Sanger would lose that set too. Oh, Sanger would lose that yeah, set. Yeah, and then I it see. would go to five, and then it would be anybody's game. I see. I was impressed that Sanger held it together after losing. He the really third. did, especially with all the goings on. That too, and his leg was bothering him too. So I thought he just might after he might get down and say, "Forget this set." How lucky is Feder? I'm <laughs> uh, just saying. Um, is that who he plays next? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, exactly. And and we would have loved Feder and Fonini, by the way. Oh yeah, because uh, that would have been exactly anyway. So, all right. So so did ha- so the score on paper was okay. So right. the first set is the one that was bad. The rest of them were good. So we got the score. Okay. Did we have a high level outside of that first set? I didn't think so at all. Or I'm sorry, high quality. Uh, no. Because we had the high level. I mean, on the one hand, you have Kyrgios who's super talented. So does that where that's what you have to balance. How, right. how, how good they are versus what their ranking is yeah. and what they do with that. And I mean, Hatchinov is an up-and-comer. Fonini is supposed to be already there, well, and but neither of them are. I could be wrong, but I think in those four you sets, are. there were zero breaks. Which, that doesn't tell you anything by itself, but there were a lot of, like, easy hold, lack of effort. There were some 40 loves. And so, that was something I forgot in that list. I was going to say maximum effort by both players. That's a good To one. me, you can't have a great match. Right. If players are giving points away, giving games away, right? I'm down forty loves. Although, this. although I think if you, unless there's a reason, <laughs> well, so you think about Sampras, yeah, he would break and then coast on his return games from here on out. But he would coast if he was down thirty love. Yes, uh, which I'm okay with. Right, 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 then right, it's, right. That's a strategy. Right. To You're me, doing... knowing I can't break and just giving the and game away, you had no chance of losing your serve. Right. Or at least he felt that way, and the effort he gave and the and the quality yeah. on his serve games were you know superb, best ever, if you ask me. Kyrgios takes that to another level where it's I'm going to hold serve and then hit and I don't even care what happens in the return game. I'm going to and then return right. with the handle of my racket, <laughs> try to hit it like a baseball. Um. So, so that's that's why that's I say, a good addition to the list. We need to formalize this list. We'll yeah. do that at some point, uh, particularly as we talk about the quarterfinals on. Right. So that's another one that it didn't have. It was um it was not a uh, quarterfinal match. Right. Uh, or better or higher or was it third round later officially? What do you, what do you call it? I don't know. <laughs> I think further, it was farther, third round officially. Further, farther, further, later. <laughs> It wasn't Four. late enough in the draw. Yeah. So it was, where did it go? I think it's third round. Because oh, Nadal Kyrgios is fourth round, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, it was third round. So, yeah, so it was early. Uh, that adds to it. Um, so the level, not as high as being a, a, a real threat to win the tournament by either of them. Right. And then you don't think the quality was as high tennis wise but then also the added of effort right yeah, well you, and what i could have done for that match is start at 6-2 and watch the tie breaks and i would have gotten as much out of it as i did watching the whole thing right because the tie breaks were the only thing that was consequential right um yeah because yeah i yeah whereas there's another match with a lot of tie breaks that i was watching every minute on the edge of my seat which is sampras agassi you know, when they played four consecutive tie breaks. US Open, right? That was, yeah, there were easy holds in there, but it was dramatic, and you wanted to watch every game to see if they well, were going to hold. And when Agassi is frustrated because he can't 
get the serve point on his turn, uh, his return game. He could never get control right. of the point, but they're they're a chess match and they're battling. He's battling as one of the greatest returners of all time, facing one of the greatest the greatest server of all time, <laughs> and and he's really using everything he's got to try to figure out how to get into these serve games, and he can't. Right. Not just ace, and then he walks to the side before the ball hits the back. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, because um, that's I I think that is something that I uh, uh, woefully missed. And that is effort level, particularly when you're talking about a Kyrgios match. Right. Uh, and that's a great addition, one of the few you've ever made on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, but it is well worth uh, that backhanded compliment. And every tie break, there was great effort because right. you know that was when he knew it mattered the most. Right. But like that, that's not enough to sustain a match. Because to me, greatest match ever is a match you don't want to fast forward anything. You want to watch every moment. Yeah. You know. Not at, at two all. I was. You're, I mean, at three all in every set, you were like, "Okay, tie break." Right. Like it, very little drama within each set. So, uh, so then no. Is your what about unexpected stuff? Anything unexpected? I mean, I mean, like I said, Curios not acting like an idiot was unexpected. No, nah, he did a little. I mean, he got a warning at one point for, but yeah, from his standards, yeah. I mean, to me, that was unexpected. Him not, <laughs> but it's not doing anything crazy. I don't especially after losing two sets, right? So, all right. So we agree that based on our uh, methods, this doesn't qualify. I'm as not a, sure it's the best match of this tournament so far, <laughs> for sure. And I don't mean that. You know, I don't have a specific match in mind that was better, but right. But it's like, yeah, it wasn't. But to me, that's up for debate. Not one of the greatest matches ever. That's a that's prisoner, not even in the debate. That's a prisoner moment, pr- prisoner of the moment, uh, to use our local uh, guy. And Australians, Skip I'm Bayless. sure, have that because they don't win anything. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> so for if an Australian person said it, I'm okay with it. Right, it wasn't. So since you brought this up, now Uh-oh. you have to answer, what's the greatest match ever? Now that you know all the criteria. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of this pretty easily. <laughs> and I have my answer, by the way. I'm gonna get out of this pretty easily, and that is pure greatness is equal across every episode. So right. that Agassi uh, Sampras match is equal to you know the the War of eighteen twelve eighteen sixteen. Yeah, and you know equal to Strokes of Genius and equal. You know what I mean? Right. So. I think all those are on that plane. It's like, I hate when people say there's a separate room in the Hall of Fame. Well, if there is, you're doing the Hall of Fame wrong. <laughs> now, right, you might like be the best. NFL 100. Like, right. We're going to make the Hall of Fame even more exclusive. Right. You know. So, in any event, I, you know, so those type of matches are all, what's yours? The like, one I mentioned. I, that Fetter, I mean, uh, Agassi Sampras. Right. Four tie breaks. To me, that was, and the, and. The fact that there's one hesitation is the fact that it didn't go five. That's the that's yeah. even when I was watching it, I was like, please go five sets, please right. go five. Even well, though I, I was rooting for Sampras. I, I was gonna say I didn't want it to go five <laughs> because of that. I remember watching that match. Yeah. I remember where I was. That was when I lived in Virginia. Um I uh I was doing the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I want Sampras to win. Right. But, but I wanted to win I five. Wa- <laughs> I wanted to go five, but I wanted to, you know. So that's the one strike. Here's the reason another potential criteria. But if, but for if the it list. goes four but every single one of those right. four sets could have gone the other way, then what can you say? It's like, oh, so it's not the greatest match, one of the greatest matches ever because a guy didn't win two additional right. points? Well, and here's what another match that gets mentioned a lot, and I didn't mention this as part of my criteria, 
but the one that gets mentioned a lot used to before the Federer at all was Federer Erotic. Yes. And the strike I have against that match is, can you tell me there was ever really a time in that match where you thought Federer was going to lose? Yes. I really don't think there yes. was. When he bricked that volley but I out mean, of the stands, I was like, he makes this, he wins this Well, no, that's set. what I mean. If he had made that, it's, then you would have said, okay, right, Federer's going to lose. Up until that point, as he's winning that that that's, second set that's true, I on, guess. on his way to winning that second set. And then you're like, oh, he's finished. Right. Oh, he's finished. But and I then mean, he wasn't because it went five sets still. Well, but the dramatic incredible. But the dramatic part was the fifth set. And to me, and again, obviously it's been so long, I can't who knows what I felt at the time. And I'm thinking about Federer now as how he's so dominant. But I don't ever remember thinking Roddick can break Federer in the fifth, in other words. Like By the way, I didn't use quarterfinals as a barometer because that US Open match was in the quarterfinals. <laughs> I knew it was in the quarterfinals. But yeah, that was six seven, seven, six, seven, six, seven, yeah, six. And it was awesome. And it was seven nine, seven two, seven two, seven five. So and by the way, and the tie breaks weren't the greatest, but by the way, for the sake of our you know, whatever you said about uh where it is or when it is that was night match, prime time, yes, U.S. Right. Open. Like for our purposes, that's the best. Right. Um, yeah. No offense to you know an Australian Open, but it's going to be at four a.m. To me, that has a little something to do yeah, with it. Night if, nobody's, match, if nobody's watching it, uh, uh, Australian Open night match for me is when I'm you know <laughs> cooking some scrambled eggs for breakfast. Um, yeah. So that that kind of makes the Australian Open it, impossible. But to you have know the best what? Ever. I disagree. It, that's an unfair because it's not our fault. No, I know. It, or their fault. So it it's still... But that's going to make it hard for us to choose an Australian... Because remember, Roddick won that match 21-19 against Eunice Elenawi. Uh, yeah. And nobody ever talks about that. Right. Probably because it was at 5 a.m. Well, and it was Eunice Elenawi. And it wasn't, you know, probably the highest quality. Probably a lot of easy holds. Yep. But what I mean is when Federer and Roddick go to the fifth, my thinking is going to be, how is Roddick going to win because he can't break? Just like it is now when, you know, maybe not now, but a couple of years ago, if Federer goes into a fifth, I'm thinking, how is somebody going to break this guy? So that's the problem is for right, Federer to get your, broken on grass. But your other question should be, how is Federer going to break Roddick? Because I think that's... Well, I mean, he's done it every time they played. Well, I know, but <laughs> on grass And that ended up being pretty accurate, though, because they went to whatever, 12-12 or 13, whatever it was. Yeah. So obviously neither was easy to break. But I just think that that match for me was missing a little bit in terms of unpredictability. And that was the time when Federer was really, really dominant. So to me, I just, my jaded, you know, attitude was, okay, Federer's going to win. Like, like you said, if Roddick could have up two sets of love, then the mentality is a little different. Right. You know, Federer's got to break him to win at this point. So here's the score. Federer won the first set and the match. 5-7, 7-6. No, wait a second. Roddick won the first set. I was about set. to say, five, Roddick had to be up a set. 5-7, seven, seven, six, seven, six, three, six. You can't tell me that didn't make a that difference? Was, that, was, that made it interesting. And then 16-14. Yeah. So, yes, I certainly thought he could win it. I certainly thought he's going to be on the, you know, look, you know looking uphill, work, right. you know, working uphill or whatever you call it. But, but well, yeah, well, I let me say this. Let's say it was 16-14 Roddick. Don't you think that would make that match higher on your list of best ever? Because then it becomes no erotic slam. No, 
I think it would be the other way. I think it would be great for America and Roddick and all the rest yeah. of it. But no, because of looking back now, which I said this shouldn't be part of it. Right. But looking back now, of course it should have been Federer. And it was one of his greatest achievements overcoming. Because remember, who, who's the guy besides the big three that is pushing the most? Yeah. You know, I mean. But I more. mean, in retrospect, it's just one of 20. <laughs> or as it was Roddick, it would be one of two. Right. Um, and and the only time he beat him in a slam, probably. So, well, anyway, I but yes, I think that that match certainly qualifies, if you ask me. And I, uh, It's probably top five, for sure. Yeah. I don't have the luxury of watching the 1816. I'm sure I've seen some replays of parts of it. and um, So that one can't be on my list for just personal viewing. By the way, Roddick might be in the Hall of Fame, but he's not an all-time great. Correct. Borg and McEnroe are. Right. And so, uh, to me, that goes ahead of... Yeah, that helps. And so, same thing with Federer, you know, Nadal, same thing same with Same thing Agassi. with catching off. <laughs> <laughs> They're not Hall of Famers yet. No. Um, no. All right. So, perfect. So, that is not a good one. All right. So... Notice we didn't mention any women's matches, by the way. Sexist. Back to the old days. Well, three sets. I mean, that, you know, they, it would have to be a three-setter. Yeah. All right. So, with that being said, it's not our fault. They didn't show women. Yes, they did, of course. <laughs> of course they did. Um. All right. So, next, big, one of the big story, top five stories, and I think we, uh, I haven't forgot it, of course, but let me see what you think. The match breaker in the deciding set. So, you know that I'm Mr pessimistic mr negative about everything uh i love that i think they should all switch to that i agree 100 percent. and they said something that i thought was really stupid when i heard it but it's proven to be true oh you know when you're down five two and a tie break to seven that's it's like over but if you're five two to ten that that's it's still wide open yeah and i thought how stupid that's three more points but it's happened in every one of them yeah. where somebody's gotten up an early break and lost it back. Right. Well, Federer, for example, was down 8-4. He'd be out. Right. It would, now, obviously, you know, strategy changes or whatever. But he was down 8-4. It would be over, and he ends up winning the last six points to win 10-8. So, to me, if you've played six games in a set... I still want them to play it out, by the way, but... If you played six games in a set... 12 games, you mean? I mean, Yeah, six all. If you've, you know, six all in a set... And you've done that five times. <laughs> That's enough. You're even. Right. Let's just figure this thing out. Yeah. Now, the easiest possible way, which is the most 100% the most luck, is flip a coin. Right. So on the opposite end of the spectrum is play it out to 117 to 115. <laughs> That's the other. You know, Isner Mahout, too. And you already proved that, or you've already stated that Isner Mahout was the worst thing you've ever right. seen in tennis. Except that dominate her body open back shirt. So <laughs> I hope everybody's googling that now. Yeah. So if uh, by the way uh, I forgot who it was, but there a, a tweeter a listener helped me remember who that player was. <laughs> I remember. Anyway, so somewhere in the middle, you you have to make a compromise. I think because I right. think a tie break might be just a little bit too much, or not enough, and then the hundred and twelve to hundred and ten is too much. But the problem is, what Wimbledon does is this 12-all garbage. That's the same thing as going to 115. You just said, well, we've had enough of it. Right. 
So you're you just all you did was split the baby, so to speak, and it's like, hey, dummy, just get off, you know. No, fish, that to me, of fish the, or get off the of pot. The four, of, the four, <laughs> of the four, of the four, of the four. So here's you say, what they are: rules. The that's French the Open. The French Open plays it all the way out, right? Forever, right? U.S. Open regular tiebreak in the fifth, right? Australian matchbreaker or first to ten in the final, in the deciding set. Fifth or third, and then uh, Wimbledon plays it out until twelve all. Then a regular tiebreak. Right. So you have four different things in the same sport. That's the, it'd be like the Super Bowl. Then playing th- four different sets of rules in each quarter of the Super Bowl. It's ridiculous. I think one or more of them will adopt the ten point. I soon. Well, the U.S. Open's the closest to it because right. they already play a tiebreak. So yeah. three extra points. Yeah, why not? Um, the reason I'm, and again, I've said I would be okay if they all four did this. The reason I'm okay with the French staying win by two is it's the easiest surface to break serve on. Right. So you're not seeing 18, 16, 20, 18, you know, it's just not nearly as likely. I do prefer consistency, though. No, I agree. So I think it's totally, the fact they have to flash it on the screen daily of here's what the four slams do is is ridiculous people already don't understand tennis scoring <laughs> right and you add that right so it is amazing how many matches have had to use it though i and i just like it i think i i think it's uh it's almost like they should play a regular tie break for the fifth set but then play a 10 point break decide who wins the match it's like it's that <laughs> obviously i know it'd be uneven but my point being is i definitely like it. i think that added extra means okay this is not just for the fifth set right this is for the match, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think I like it. Well, I, like I think a, a seven-point tiebreak lends itself to a little bit of flukiness. You know, you can be serving at four-five, and the guy hits a frame winner or something, and all of a sudden it's four-six, and he's right. got two match points, but he really didn't do anything to get them. Right. I mean, that could still happen at eight-nine, but you played a little bit longer to get there. Right. Um, right. You can even those things out potentially. Well, and the. This doesn't isn't really affected with pros, but if one side is dramatically harder than the other, whether it's wind or sun, being down six zero or five one is you're done. Right. Whereas if you're down five one, but then you're going to the side that has a big advantage, get more. That's not as big a deal. More. Yeah. Right. right. So I, I I'm I'm with you. It's funny because I hate it in our local league. We've done the ten point tie break for several years. Yeah, but now. you do it in lieu right. of exactly. That, that's that's a hundred percent different. They, that's what they do in doubles. Yeah. Which are mixed now. And I in think college. they just. I think mix. They just like play off the ground to like twenty one. <laughs> they play pickleball for the third. Something. I think. So, um, but yeah. So that's the difference. A lot of places do it in lieu of a third set, right. or in this case, I guess if they carried that over, it'd be in lieu of the fifth, and that's absurd. This is you've battled it out for five sets, and in the fifth and deciding set, even there you're even in right. six all. Let's just get this thing done and figure it out. Now I've got you know no problem. But here's the one argument I won't except for why they're doing it is so the person who wins is not exhausted they're still exhausted like it's not saving that person much it's well it is if they go to 21 to 20 but i'm saying whatever two is 20 if they go 10 8 in the fifth and the other guy won in straight sets that's probably that person's probably not going to win the next round right um but i do like that there is light at the end of the tunnel right um and, and Especially when you're, if you're on an outside court, 
know, where you got darkness plays a factor, which is French and Wimbledon. Right. I think it would make sense for that reason too. I don't think matches should go into the second day because of darkness, which that's still going to happen, but less often. Yeah. We don't need another three day Isner Mahout. That was a one time novelty, and it was ever seen. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm with you. I've I'm I've been enjoying all of them. Yeah, so I'm all in on that for all four. I don't care about your dumb idea about the French. And you're, I think, uh, you're right about that, but it's like, let's just have it even. No, if I would choose between uniformity or well, keeping the French as it is, I would go with uniformity. Well, because your argument is it's easier to break. Well, yeah, but they didn't do it in the first 12 games. Right. So it's not, obviously. Yeah, it wasn't easy enough. So, um, all right, now. One of the stories that I kind of mentioned you didn't think it was was the upsets on the women's side. I no, know, I do. I don't know if Wozniacki well, counts as an upset. Well, she upset. She won by upset at first, and then she got upset. And we no were all intended. upset that we're <laughs> losing her. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I really wanted to see. It was funny because I was really looking forward to Wozniacki Serena, and they both lost within 10 minutes of each other. Yeah. Um, and then we got Jabour and Wang, the, the much uh, ballyhooed, you know, matchup. <laughs> it's my word of the day. Um, how amazing was that, though? Because this was one of the upsets. Again, not that Serena lost, but the fact that uh, didn't she beat Wang zero and zero or zero and one? It was something right. like that. I think so. I'm not and sure. so the fact that she did that and then came back and won that to me is incredible. Right. So here. Here's your criteria. I hate giving you. I hate giving you credit. I hate it. But an up, upset only matters. It's kind of like a break only matters right. if you consolidate. An upset only matters if you carry on. Yeah. Um. And so you have like. Well, that's what we've been saying about the next gen for years now. Well, yeah, but uh, but just generally, you know, so Kuznetsova beats the 15 seed Vondrasova and then loses horrendously to, to Georgie. <laughs> right. And so, okay, boom, that one doesn't count now. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, so much for that upset. Um, well, to me, the fun part about an upset is like in March Madness. Nobody cares if the 15 seed beats the two if they're out the next round. The story is when there's a 15 seed in the Sweet 16. Right. Or when there's 15 seed in the Final Four. You know, one win makes a story for that day. It doesn't carry a story for the week. So that's where that's where... Yeah, where I go with that. Well, and uh, but I think you're also exactly right. If it was a one-off game, like in the playoffs or something, yeah. whatever. But, but yeah, it's like with you know 128 people, it has to be sustained. I mean, Suarez Navarro beat Sabalenka. Boom, done. Sabalenka is like the female version of Zverev. <laughs> She's always seated high and uh, loses first two rounds every not slam. Nice. <laughs> Uh, and she lost to uh, Swiatek or whatever her name is. Um, so again, it, an upset that didn't get consolidated, I guess, is how you could put it. Um, Do you consider these upsets, by the way, because of improper seating slash ranking system or just how close everybody is? On the women's side, I think it's it's that. I think it's it's I think it's the level is so much closer. I think yeah. the, the depth is so much better because um, it's amazing. You know how consistently the seeds lose in the women's. Yeah, every time. Yeah. So, and first round is different than, you know, third round. But if you are a Serena, then if it's not the semis, 
then it should be right. not alarming. That's a little bit much to say alarming. But, you know, so I mean, and, and Muguruza, how do you categorize any of her upsets? I don't. That's what I, I mean. mean. She beats Svitolina. Svitolina always loses. But she typically Muguruza makes it. is a Grand Slam champion. Right. And Svitolina typically makes it at least maybe around a 16 quarters. Right, so it's, she lost in the third round. But my point being is she does lose. It's right. not like she's a, no, you know, no. in the finals every year. And again, Garbina is... She lost to somebody. We just don't know if this is sustainable, and I hope it is. Right. I certainly hope she's back, back. Um, so, yeah, and Benchich, I mean, she gets smoked, and now Contivate, who's seated, but, I mean, 28 compared to six. She's. We're going to find out if she can, you know, uh, keep it going. And now you've got Wang, who, you know, upset Serena. You know, she's the 27 seed. You know, and she'll probably lose to Jabur. So, I mean, you know, it's like, come on. I think she already did, or I thought she... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. She, she did. Down, there it yeah. is. Yep, you're right. She lost. I knew she was down a I set I didn't want to break. give it away in case you were <laughs> So, uh, and well, I, I think that the, and we golf, have, the same thing. Golf beats right. Osaka and then loses to Kennan, um, which, you know, the three seed and then the 14 seed, that's a, that's a tough ask for sure. Well, I think the benefit of it is we have the opposite with the women's is that every match is interesting because you don't know what's going to happen. Death-defying, right. Whereas I don't want to watch a Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal match in the first week unless it just happens to be close. The women's, every match is like, you're, Potentially, you're interested. Right. right. And even Barty and Halep, and, you know, they haven't been blowing through the competition. There's been no woman who's been blowing through the competition. Um, so it makes it makes you think every match going in is the old, you know, the old, uh, you don't know, that's why they play the game. That's That applies to the women's. It doesn't apply to the men's. Right. Uh, why do they play the game on the men's side? <laughs> why do just they? give the big three bye to the quarters, like the olden days? I would. I, I'm saying that as a joke, but I would actually love that. That would make the first week to me so much more interesting. I wouldn't have to get <laughs> six hours a day of my TV coverage dedicated to the big three. Yeah. Holy moly! All right. So, what else you got? Anything else on the Australian Open Week One? I think that's it. I'm. I am excited about. Week two, maybe more than normal. Even though we're kind of halfway into it, but that's not our fault. Yeah. Well, I'm just excited because we have enough next-gen in there to get our dream matchups. Well, so here's what we still have. We still have on the women, we still have the one. Right. That's fun. Yeah. Wait for it. The one is also local. Yeah. I I don't know about local. I don't know where she's from, (laughs) but Australian. Right. So that's huge. Uh, the, watching her deal with that amount of pressure is going to be, you know, a compelling, you know, story uh, for week two, hopefully longer than I was going to say. I'm worried because each match is right. getting tougher. Um, and so that's good. We also, you know, we have Holop left. We have Muguruza left. So they've won, you know, uh, Kerber still in it. So, the, you know, there's some fun. Um, when I think Kerber's the only one left that's won the Australian before, either the Australian before. I think that's I think that's right, which to me is always kind of cool. It helps to know there's going to be a potential first time winner. Now, of course, ultimately, I'd love to see an American win, which those prospects got dramatically lowered <laughs> when Serena goes out, and all we've got left is Kennan. Right. But we've got Kennan left, so that's something. And she plays Jabur the first, you know, in the next round, so in the quarters, so. 
on paper, uh, you know, she's not afraid of anybody. I'm afraid of her. She's not afraid <laughs> of anybody, and she's got, you know, potentially Barty or Kavitova next after that. So obviously, that's going to be tough. And so, by the way, the reason American Disappointment wasn't a story is because it's every tournament. Um, we're used to not having. When more left. and more with Serena too. I mean, it's becoming <laughs> expected now. We've got Kennan and Sangren. <laughs> that's quite a uh, duo. So on the men's side, you know, uh, man, what a night, what an evening. Uh, we're going to have Nadal Kyrgios, right? Yep. That's going to be I fantastic. Mean, we can't are you overstate that enough? Are you recording that? Oh, of course. Oh God. <laughs> um, but my, I, but I do, and I'm saying this knowing they're going to be hearing this after it's over. But I don't think anyone, myself included, will be surprised if it's not as compelling as we we hope it's going to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm really interested in Medvedev Warinka. I'm I am too because Wawrinka clearly has demonstrated he can win Grand Slam tournaments. Obviously, and if you remember, he beat Demet not Dimitrov. He beat well, he did beat Dimitrov, but he beat Tsitsipas in a Slam last year, which was kind of this same situation, like you know, up and comer versus veteran. And oh yeah, by the way, you suck. I suck, but I'm better than you, the next <laughs> gen, and you suck. Right. I'm the I'm part of the big four as the. I think he mentioned the Tennis Revolution podcast by name when he said, I'm part of the big four, chump. And so that, I agree with you, that's really interesting to me. And then Rublev Zverev, which the only thing I'm interested in to see how right I am that Zverev falls off, goes off the rails um, and loses. Although at least he's losing to somebody that's good. Well, I was going to say, they might be similar age, but I think we would classify Rublev as next, next gen and we've always right, classified Zverev as next gen. It's about when they turn. Yeah, I mean Zverev is the leader of the next gen. Right. He's right on the heels of of uh, the big three. Rublev. It's uh, but it's all about when they turn pro right. versus you know. And I was watching Rublev in a challenger three years ago. I mean yeah. four years ago. So he can't be next gen. He wasn't even on the main tour. Right. So uh, and then I, I think the most compelling match for like sentimentality, but not for tennis. I think is going to be Monfils team. And, and any, Monfils any outcome win. there is interesting. Any outcome there is interesting, but the sentimental part is from I'd love to see Monfils totally. you know, uh, do well. I do think that those four matchups you just listed have a potential to go into boring next-round matches, unfortunately, if they go to plan. If, yeah, potentially. I mean, Nadal and team had an incredible match at the U.S. Open, so that would be interesting to see them play on a hard court again. Well, we're waiting for Kyrgios, no matter who he beats, to lose spectacularly in the following round, right. no matter who it is. Right. So if he gets past Nadal, it could be an incredible fall. What if he lost to Monfils, like one, two, and two, after beating <laughs> and Nadal? And Monfils goes in the semis? That'd be great. Um, no, I, I think it's, we're going to have a hard time, and we're going to come back complaining about the poor TV coverage, because right. I want to watch all four of those matches in but, their entirety. They're going to show Nadal Kyrgios, even if it's 6-2, 6-1, Right. 5-2. Well, luckily, that's going to be the night match, so at least there won't be other matches going during. Right. Unless but, the McEnroe's are playing doubles or something, <laughs> which is possible. But, all right, so on the women's side, uh, I mean... The women are going to get the, well, the only com- left out on that day. The only compelling, you know aspects of of this really for me are i mean Halep gives me a little bit of you know like i feel good about Normalcy, her yeah but and then the other thing is the the sentimental part is muguruza you know hopefully yeah. she can maintain her back to formness um and of course we've you know already had the kennan you know 
that they're into the quarters already. So. Well, and what we've always said is week one is exciting for the women's. Week two is exciting for the men's. Right. And I think that's, and we're seeing why, because you get a lot of women's matches. Oh, who is that again? Like, who did, oh yeah, she beat so-and-so. Right. So it's, it's you know, if it led to something, like an up-and-coming woman going to the finals, which it sometimes it has, Osaka, you know, Barty, but uh, it, it usually ends Less up Less often with, than right, not, right. And the men, we start to get up matchups that we want to see, even though they usually end predictably. Although, listen, even as an American, my number one, you know, sort of on the women's side, my number one thing that I'm trying to follow or hoping to see is Barty to win her home slam. I'd love it if the Aussies got, especially this year, right. all the tragedy, tra- tra- <laughs> travesty, tragedy, tragedy, both uh, going on over there. It'd be, it'd be, well, all, they it'd can be have pretty curious special. Win. Oh, you meant realistic possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway all right exciting we, now you got to rush home and <laughs> and not watch any scores that's right so what you have everything recording are you done with everything that's done yes so you're caught up for this podcast yes was it because of this podcast um absolutely no not. i try to get no i you're the curious of this podcast <laughs> i always no try to be within 24 hours if possible <laughs> not bad not um, bad i'll take that because well, number one, my DVR doesn't have a limited space, but number two, it just uh, it gets out of control if I'm more behind than that. Because then somebody tells me, or right, you know, like Nadal Curious, I'm probably going to wake up and have texts, and I'm going to it's going to be you know a lost cause. But what right. can I do? It's on at two thirty in the morning. I mean, right, everybody, yeah. every, and that's by the way, I don't care who's listening that knows me. That's my absolute number one pet peeve when it comes to recording. If you want to talk to me about the match, that's wonderful. But they, it's never that. It's they saw the score online because nobody's up at two thirty watching it, right? And they saw the score and said, "Oh man, can you believe what happened in the match? You know, he won in five sets." I'm like, "Did you watch it? No, I just saw the score." I'm like, "So you ruined it for me and didn't know and anything you didn't even about watch it. it or know anything? Like, we can't even talk about it because you didn't watch it, right? So we have we can't. All have, you did was report right a score, something I could have found out easily if I wanted to." Um, so that's my number one pet peeve is when somebody comes out and says something and didn't know, did you watch it? No, I just saw the score. All right. By the way, uh, this is the number one reason that this dumb dumb doesn't have any social media because we did. The first thing I would tell every one of you is tweet him immediately on every score that happens ever. Exactly. And he would uh, either throw his phone off the bridge or he would jump off the bridge. One or the other. I, I don't care which, um, I'm kidding. Phones are expensive. All right. Week one in the books, and kind of part of week two has already started because of the dumb time zone. And uh, But exciting nonetheless. Tennis is back, baby. Tennis is back. How fun is that? It is, and we need anything but an Nadal Djokovic final, and it's exciting. Yeah. If that happens, we come in next week and just talk about the women. Agreed. And we do my pet peeve and just report the score of the men's, and that's it. (laughs) Oh, we'll probably talk about it anyway. <laughs> I'm sure we will. We'll, we'll talk about how pitiful the next gen is and right. why these old guys can't <laughs> stop winning. All right. You think that's it? That's it. Man, oh, man. All right. Well, until next time, thanks for joining the revolution. Bye, guys. Wozniacki.